Welcome back. We are in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Let's go. All right, verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living, the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So this is the point where you may say, yeah, Revelation's weird, it's hard, it's mystical, I don't understand it. It makes perfect sense when you just let Scripture interpret Scripture. When you go back and you cross-reference it with other books of the Bible, other verses, and they fill each other, they bring meaning. It's not difficult. We're going to go through it. You're going to get Revelation. You're going to get it in great detail and you're going to understand the simplicity of it too and if you ever get confused or stressed about revelation just step back and think about the timeline you have the church history which began at pentecost and will end with the rapture we are in that church age right now the rapture has not yet taken place it will we don't know the exact time but it will take place those Christians, the believers who are still living at that time, will be caught up into heaven with Jesus. The ones who have passed away before that time will get their glorified bodies and be caught up into heaven, or their, their glorified bodies will, with Jesus. Then we'll have the tribulation, which is a seven-year period of uh, basically wrath on the earth, and there's purpose to that. Then Jesus comes back, that's the second coming, that's at the end of the tribulation, that seven-year period. And then we have the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year period. So you have the church age, then the rapture, then the seven-year tribulation, then the thousand-year millennial period. And if you keep that reference in mind, it's all going to make a lot more sense as we go through this. So last week we talked about the glass, and life circumstances are represented by waters and seas. And when the sea is rough, it's scary. When it's calm, it's peaceful. When Peter was walking on the water going to Jesus, he didn't focus on the seas around him. He focused on Jesus. But then when he focused on the choppy waters and the circumstances and the fact that he was walking on water and thinking about worldly things, he sank. And remember that Jesus calmed the seas when he was sleeping in the boat, they're like, how does Jesus sleep at a time like this? Are you kidding me? What is this man thinking? And he calmed the seas because he controls them. And storms, the storms of life are very powerful because suffering has immense purpose. And it creates patience and perseverance and character and hope. It's not doesn't mean we want suffering. It doesn't mean we're like, bring it on. That would just be idiotic if we did that. But when we're in it, Jesus wants us to press into him, trust that he's sovereign, and rely on him. And then we see these four living creatures. So they correspond to the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four creatures. The lion, the ox, the... Uh, or, the, the calf, which is also the ox, and the man and the eagle. So let's look at Matthew. The book of Matthew was written to the, largely to the Jews, and it presents Jesus as king, as Messiah, 
and that was typified by a lion. A lion is powerful, and thus typifies the king. Mark was written for the Rome, primarily for the Romans and presents him as a servant. Well, an ox is a servant animal, and so it represented this uh, servanthood. Then you have Luke. He was a physician, and he one of the large purposes of his gospel was to prove that Jesus was fully human, uh, fully man. And that's what we see in the face of a man here. And then the book of John presents us with Jesus as the Son of God, as fully divine. Remember, Jesus was both fully man and fully divine. He didn't give up his uh, personhood, his humanity. He didn't give up his divinity. He was still fully God and fully man. But we have these four different kind of pictures of God, the lion, the powerful king, the ox, the servant, the man, humanness of it, and the eagle, which is representative of uh, some someone or something, is, uh, symbolic of soaring high. And interesting, the eagle, to my what I read about, it's the only animal that can look directly into the sun without hurting its eyes. And... That's really cool because Jesus is the only one who can look directly at God the Father. Uh, we'll never be able to look directly at God the Father because he's just too brilliant. And we can't look at the sun uh, above our earth without hurting our eyes uh, because it's just so magnificent and brilliant. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into these uh, creatures and these four different things. In Numbers 1 and Numbers 2, the Israelites were to camp into four groups the camp of Judah was on the east side of the tabernacle. And guess what the symbol of Judah was? It was a lion. Um, then there was a camp on the west side, and that was the symbol uh, of Reuben. And the symbol of Reuben was an ox. And, oh, no, that was, which one was on the west? Uh, my notes got messed up here. But one of them was on the west, and their symbol was an ox. Then you had a camp of Reuben that was in the south. And their symbol was man. And then you have a camp of Danon in the north, and their symbol was the eagle. I think the one on the west was Robeson, unless I wrote that down wrong. But basically you had four different camps that God told them to break off into and camp in different directions of the tabernacle. North, east, south, and west. Well, interestingly, each of those four camps, groups, were had symbols of the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Okay, this stuff rocks, I'm telling you. Now check this out. The largest number of people was on the east. The smallest number of people in the west. In pretty similar numbers on the north and south. Well, guess what you have when you look at that? That's a picture of the cross. Right? We go through numbers and stuff. We're like, yeah, I don't want to read this. I'm getting really bored about reading about people and numbers and random things there's purpose to it. We're going back from Revelation to Numbers to see that God told these people to camp in four different groups. Each group was symbolized by the same exact creatures that we're seeing here in heaven being told about in Revelation. And those four camps around the tabernacle just happened to form the symbol of a cross, right? This stuff can't be made up. God designed this. God did this. And he wants us to see these things as we go through the Bible. So all of a sudden we're like, wow, this is just awesome. So I hope that touches you because it's, it's just amazing stuff. So there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. 
These four creatures were cherubim or seraphim or a combination thereof. So cherubim, C-H-E-R-U-B-I-M, they were angelic beings. And Satan himself was actually a cherub. A cherub. I, can't, I can never say that word right. Seraphim, the only place we see them mentioned is in Isaiah 6-2. And it says, And I stood uh, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And when we see the cherubim, they were spoken of with four wings. So here in Revelation, they're talking about... Uh, where is it? I'll find it in a minute. But anyways, and then if we look at Genesis 3.24... It says, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned uh, every away to guard the way to the tree of life. In Ezekiel 1.5, we read, also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. So, Perhaps, again, it was a cross between the two because they had six wings like a seraphim. They have qualities of, of both the cherubim, cherubim and cherubim. Seraphim. Uh, I'm getting confused in my language in my mouth right now. And, but they had full of, full of eyes in front and in back. So they had eyes to be able to see so much. And what I want us to think about is, are, do we have eyes to see the things of God? We have two eyes, and we can most of us can see pretty darn amazing. I'm getting older. My eyes are fading a little bit. But we can see a lot of worldly things. But are we using the vision of God to see the spiritual things, to see the godly things that he wants us to see, the, the crowns that he wants us to seek, the wisdom that he wants us to listen to, the knowledge that he wants us to listen to, not worldly knowledge and wisdom, but godly knowledge and wisdom. Fear is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. May we, have wisdom, may we have eyes like God to see the things that are spiritual and godly and eternal and that matter instead of just seeing the things that we see that are worldly and cause us to lust or covet or be jealous or angry or bitter or whatever the case may be. The first living creature was like a lion. This is verse 7. We just saw that. The second living creature like a calf. Third living creature like the face of a man. The fourth living creature with the face of a flying eagle. Verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings. There it is. That's what I was looking for a second ago. So they have the six wings, which are more akin to the seraphim as opposed to the four-winged cherubim. Uh, we're full of eyes all around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So they were saying, Holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, when they would say words repeatedly twice, it, it, that double em, uh, adds emphasis. When they did it in three in a row, in triplicate, it calls attention to God's glory. He's holy, holy, holy. And that word holy comes from the word, or we get the word whole, W-H-O-L-E. God is whole. He is whole. He is whole. He is whole. He is without sin. He is without defect. Uh, he is infallible. And they're declaring this, that he is holy, holy, holy. They're giving him the reverence and the respect that he deserves. And they're saying, Lord God Almighty, they're declaring him to be Lord. My question to you is this. Are you declaring God to be your Lord? Is he 
a Lord? Is he like another thing in your life? Or is he literally Lord of your life? And everything trees down from that. Everything comes from that relationship with God. And it says who was and is and is to come. That's a repeat or a parallel of chapter 1, verse 19, which is the outline of Revelation. Who was and is and is to come. God was, he still is, and he is to come. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. He was not created. He created everything. So, Revelation rocks. I hope you're seeing that. It's just unbelievable. Much easier to understand than most people uh, think. I don't know why so many people get confused. It's, it's pretty straightforward if you just study it and use other scripture to figure out what's going on. So, Lord, I thank you for today. Whatever is ailing anybody's mind right now that's listening to it, for some it may be job, for some it may be money, retirement, others it may be health, it may be a move, it may be an illness. There are so many things that be going with the people who are listening, but I just pray that whatever they're going through, Lord, right now, they would just give it to you. Give it to you and say, Lord, this is yours. You gave this to me. You allowed this to happen to me. And I'm just going to say, I trust you, Lord. You are sovereign. I want you to take this burden away from me. Let me not worry about it. Let me trust that you will work things out for your glory. And as I go through this trial, as I go through the suffering, Lord, that people would see me suffer well and see that Jesus is present in my life because I want nothing more than to have other people join me in heaven. I pray that for them and for myself, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day. Mm -hmm.